you. You can be seated. Well, glad to have you with us. Want to look in the camera at the back of the room and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond, Scott's edition. Love what God's doing there in the city. Good morning, Pastor Jason and Brandy. How many were part of First Wednesday? How fun was that to have Pastor Ismail speak and uh, love what God's doing? Uh, Chapel in Espanol had its largest attendance to date last weekend. And uh, so, in fact, I don't know if you know this, during this service at 1115, just a mile and a half, two miles from here, uh, they're worshiping and God's building his church. And so that we love that team there. We love our partnership, what God's doing um, in that community as well. And uh, just so thankful for it. And then, of course, we like to say good morning to the men and women of Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections. You are not a private to us. You're our people, and we're glad that you're with us today. Well, today is a really special day. Uh, there are generals in the faith, and that's what we have with us today. Uh, Pastor Choco de Jesus, uh, you could Google him online and read a million different things he's accomplished. He is the treasurer of a movement of churches that he oversees called the Assemblies of God in, uh, in America for over 14,000 churches that he resources and provides strategic leadership, stewardship, uh, direction for those churches. Not only that, he led an incredible church, one of the great churches in America, uh, New Life in uh, Chicago, multiple campuses, tens of thousands of people. I mean, you read their story of what they did to make a difference in urban Chicago, in homelessness and uh, single mothers' lives, their ministry to gang members, and what just just what God did not only in building His church, but in strategic um, uh, grassroots kind of ministry with where the people are and where the people live. And God's used Him in so many different ways. I'm telling you, I think I think we still have a couple copies of this book. But uh, after the service, um, we we give you a chance to buy this book, and Pastor uh, Choco's throwing in one free out of his own generosity. And so he'll sign it in the lobby of Midlothian after service, but make sure you pick up one of these. It's an incredible message. I think it's really a prophetic message. He was on Time Magazine's cover. I mean, I could say so much to to, to, to this horn, but here's here's the real test is how, how people were like that, like just why, this is like the message he's gonna bring for us today, I think is more than a sermon. I think it's one of those messages that are in season for where God has for us as a church where God has for us as, uh, as a community in our nation. And so we're just absolutely honored that Pastor Choco and his wife Elizabeth could take time to be with us in Richmond, Virginia. So Chapel, would you do me a favor and do me the honor of welcoming Pastor Choco as he comes to bring God's word. glad to be with you all here in Virginia. This is my first time at chapel. And uh, boy, we just, um, as an organization, first of all, you should know this is the last service until the 430. So I can preach as long as I want. Amen. <laughs> Woo! The first two services felt like a marathon. But uh, it just speaks to what God is doing here at chapel. The church grows. And uh, God is doing a great thing through your pastor and his lovely wife. Would you give it up to our pastors? We celebrate them. As an organization, uh, Brandon and Katie, wow, this is my first time coming to your church. And um, just really proud of you guys. You guys are killing it. 
killing it and expanding God's kingdom here in Virginia. And so I just pray for a blessing upon your marriage, upon your children. Uh, Elizabeth and I understand what it is to start growing. And so I just pray God would surround you with godly leaders that have the heartbeat of the Lord. So we celebrate you both on what God is doing. Thank you. Thank you for what God is doing. And again, if this is your first time visiting us here at chapel, welcome. We're glad you're here. And if you're looking to a place where to root yourself, stop looking. These are good people. This is a great place. Well, I didn't find parking. I didn't, you know, the chair. I didn't, whoa, whoa, whoa. You should celebrate that. There's some other churches in America that are empty. That means something's happening here. And so here in the lobby, overflow, maybe there'll come a time when you have to be in your car and listen to the service in your car. And we'll go out there to get your offering too. Don't play. Come on. Hey, I was a pastor of a church. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. But boy, what, what a joy. And uh, again, uh, I'll be here at 4.30. And if you want to come back to that service, bring somebody who doesn't know the Lord that needs to hear the service and, uh, and, and just what God is doing. Hey, I got my lovely wife. Elizabeth, would you stand? This is my lovely wife, Elizabeth. I know some of you are not able to see, but if you could throw the picture of Elizabeth and I. This is her. She's here. She, um, we've been married for 34 years, and, and uh, we praise the Lord for that. And she was a PK, pastor's daughter. We were part of, she was part of the girls' ministry. I was part of Royal Rangers back in Chicago. And I tell people that when Elizabeth was 12 years old, I was 14, I asked her how to be my girlfriend. True story. We didn't date until she was 17 and I was 19. And then we dated for five years and uh, got married in 1988, June 11th. I'm trying to help you guys out. You need to know these dates. Yeah. Don't look to your wife. What was the date was maybe we got married? When we got married again? Uh, June 11, 1988, we got married there in Chicago. Her father was the former pastor of our church. And uh, in the year 2000, he retired and uh, we became pastors of this church in the hood of Chicago. And um, at 4.30, I'll share a little bit more of my testimony. But um, we, be, we became the pastors in the year 2000. And the churches started growing, started growing. Now, you should know that I come from a single family home. My, my father abandoned my mother with six children in the city of Chicago. And I am the youngest of six. I was part of a dysfunctional family. Failed third grade because I couldn't read or write. My brother was a leader of a gang in Chicago. And I lived in one of the worst parks in the United States. It was called Humble Park. In 2020, what you guys saw on the news, I lived it in the city of Chicago. And God saved me in that mess. Come on now. God could pull a message out of a mess. God is in the business of using unusual people. And I am an unusual person. But yet God loved me and he saved me. Elizabeth and I have three beautiful children. Let me show you a picture of my tribe. This is my tribe. I tell people, we Hispanics, we come deep. 
I mean, we don't, we don't have like one. We got like 52 people and, and uh, a big family. Uh, so my oldest daughter, Alex, is, which is your left, on your left, and that's her husband, Anthony. Uh, he's the music director there of the church. Jesenia and her husband, he's the uh, young adult pastor. Uh, Pito and his wife, his wife is part of the worship team. And uh, so all my three kids, and they're married, and they're out of the house. Come on, somebody rejoice with me. Amen. They got to go. I get my girlfriend back. Amen. So let me show you a picture of my grandchildren. How many grandparents we have in the house? It's a beautiful thing to be a grandpa. I mean, it's just a beautiful ministry. God should have given us the grandchildren first and kept the kids. During the riots of 2020, Charlie, Charlie's the oldest one with the peace sign. She's the one with that attitude. Uh, and during the riots of 2020 in Chicago, uh, my daughter was teaching my granddaughter to engage culture. She was feeding police officers during the riots and uh, giving them food. And so I've always taught my children, and I want to teach you here, that you must engage culture. You cannot be afraid of culture. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. We cannot be afraid. And so there's Charlie. I told the second service. I did not tell the first service. But a few months ago, maybe eight, seven months ago, thereabouts, Charlie FaceTimed Elizabeth and I and said, Mama, Papa, I have a question for you. We're FaceTiming us. And she says, uh, I said, what's your question, Charlie? She says, do you have the mostest money out of everybody? I said, well, no, Charlie, but... If you're saying, do I have more money than your mother and father, then yes, I do. I have more money than them. And she said, good. I need some things, Papa. <laughs> My wife went on Amazon $300 later. It was all part of gymnastics. And she's, she's been competing. She's six years old. And she was just, my wife was with her last week in Illinois competing state level. And so my daughter, you know, my daughter, after we spent $300, she's like, Papi. You can't be doing things like that. I said, Alex, I can do whatever I want to do with my money. I'm just saying, God should have given us the grandchildren first. This is Reagan. Reagan lived. She believes in the power of prayer. And Reagan lived. Uh, James Anthony, he's going to music direct. He's, a, he's going to be a piano player and a golfer like his daddy. Dano, he is going to be a mountain climber, climbing everywhere in Colorado. And then uh, Alea Sky, she's just a great joy. And then our youngest grandchild uh, was just born in December, and there he is. Amen. So I present you my family when you think about Pastor Choco. By the way, Choco, in case, again, I didn't tell the first or second service. I love the last service because I can preach as long as I want. <laughs> Three people said, amen. <laughs> you better hurry up. Choco, Choco comes from Chocolate. Nothing spiritual. It's just when I was younger, my uncles used to call me chocolate. And then when I got saved at 14, the Christians got lazy, took the latte out, and left choco. And that's where that comes from. So let's move on. My real name is Rofredo de Jesus, de Jesus, which means in Spanish, Rofredo of Jesus. And when I go to Starbucks and they ask me, what's your name? I said, Jesus. And they said, what? I said, Jesus. And then I slide down and they're like, 
sugar-free vanilla latte for Jesus. I say nothing. Because I, I want to use what I have to promote Jesus. Amen? Even if it's my last name. But what a joy to be with you today and give you a sermon from my book called In the Gap. If you're physically able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's word? If you're physically able, if not, that's okay. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I've been traveling across America telling churches, telling you all, that America has drifted. That there's a drift in our culture today. And that there's a tsunami of immorality hitting the shores of America. And that the answer to that drift is the church. It's a good place to say amen. Hey, you got to help me out. When I pastored the church back in Chicago, my people would talk to me. Amen, preach it. And the answer to that drift is the church. I told the New York Times when they asked me about cancel culture. Furthermore, let me just tell cancel culture, if you're watching, you cannot cancel what you did not create. And you did not create the church of Jesus Christ. But I told the New York Times that for 2,000 years, the church and culture have always been at odds. And that the church was never called to accommodate culture. That the church was called to speak into culture prophetically. To lead the way, if you will. And that although there is a drift and America has drifted, God is looking for a few good men and women to stand in the gap. You didn't create the gap. I didn't create the gap. But God is looking. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, I look for a man among them who will build up the wall and stand before me in the what? Together. In the what? The word gap there in Hebrew means I benayim. So God says, I look for an ish, which is a man in Hebrew. Isha would be woman. I look for an ish among them who will build up the wall and stand before me in the Ibanayim on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. And here's what God said. But I found what? Not one person in Virginia, not one person in Chicago, not one man, not one woman who had the audacity to stand for what they believe. In 2023, God is still looking for a man or a woman, anybody that would say something to this culture. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for worship. Thank you for bringing us here safely. Thank you for the vision of the house. We pray, God, that you would mess us up, that we will leave out of here different. We didn't come here today to leave the same way. So provoke us. Disturb us. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated. In the 1950s, I've been sharing with folks, in the 1950s and the 1960s, Eisenhower, who was not a religious president, 
however, did go on national TV in the 1950s to urge all Americans to go to church and pray for the Geneva Peace Conference with the Soviets in the 1950s. Imagine that, that the president of the United States in the 1950s would go on national TV and urge all American. That type of gesture back then was common. Today, it's unimaginable that the president of the United States in 2023 would urge Americans to go to church and pray. I'm just trying to tell you here this morning that America has drifted and that God is looking for a man and a woman who would have the audacity to stand in the gap. How is it, folks? How is it that in a short time, in a short time, we've gone from defining culture, Christianity, defining culture, and being a culture that Christianity would set culture in the 1950s. Today, they look at you and I, and they say we're uncool. We're a counterculture. Choco, you and your beliefs, you're not cool. As a matter of fact, I got news for you all. We're no longer the majority in the United States. We're not the majority. We're in the minorities. So when people look at me and they look at you, they say we're in the minorities. And I say, praise God. Because one man or one woman with God is in the majorities. Are you with me? Now, before I go on, do you want me to change mics or we're good? Okay. So how do we adjust, church? How do we adjust from being the culture to being a counterculture minority group? Here's how we adjust. We need to stop caring what people think about us and start thinking about what God cares about us. We cannot allow Hollywood to tell us who we are. We know who we are. We do not have an identity crisis. We're people of God. Come on, somebody. We're people of God. We offer forgiveness. We're talking about transformation. We're a community of love. So we need to stop caring what Hollywood thinks about you and I. And start thinking about what God thinks about us. There is gaps everywhere in our culture. Did you know that the average homeless person in America is not 35 years old? He's nine years old. So when you think about homelessness across this nation, think about a nine-year-old boy or a nine-year-old girl. That's the average homeless person living in our streets of America. We have a gap problem. You didn't create it. I didn't create it. In Chicago, we had a building that had 35 homeless women and children that we housed because they told me we had a problem. And I knew that with revelation comes responsibility that we must stand in the gap and help these homeless people. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know how they lost their job. But I do know this. They cannot sleep in the streets. At least that was my mindset in Chicago. We got to do something. The average girl, the girl who's being trafficked in the United States, she's not 25. She's five years old. That's why in Chicago, every Super Bowl Sunday, we would never go to Super Bowl football game. We would send our workers outside. Did you know that close to 100,000 girls and boys are being trafficked during that week of Super Bowl in the streets of America? I'm just trying to tell you. 
There is no girl who was born, who's five years old, that wants to be a prostitute. There's no girl who dreams of being a prostitute. Something must have happened to her or to him. Our educational system is in a decline. Homelessness. Housing crisis. I mean, think about our marriages. Don't be deceived. Marriages in the churches, one out of every two, end up in divorce. Now we just change partners like used cars. What used to be outrage about abortion, now millions and millions. What used to be a problem with domestic violence and pornography didn't move us. Maybe seeing young girls being trafficked move us. In 2002, when I was pastoring the church in Chicago, the commander of the 14th district came to me and said to my office, he said, Reverend Jesus, we have a problem. I said, what's your problem? He said, we've arrested 600 women for prostitution in nine months. He said, Reverend, is there anything your church can do? I said, commander, we will pray for you. Now, I already already told you that with revelation comes responsibility. You must do something. When God reveals to chapel the condition of our community here, yes, we should pray, but we should do something. So I went home. I told my wife, Elizabeth, I said, babe, they have arrested 600 women unduplicated for prostitution. I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning, and I feel like my father in heaven told me, Choco, buy a farm. I said, farm? My wife was making coffee. I go to my wife. I said, babe, God wants us to buy a farm. She says, what do you know about farming? I said, nothing. (laughs) But I do know about obedience. (laughs) Listen to me, church. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. The reason why many of us do not experience the more of God is because we're trying to understand God. And he's never asked you in scripture to understand him. He's asked you and I to walk in obedience. That we must walk in obedience. God's always asked us to do that. Now think about this for a moment. That the God of the universe, the God of the universe calls us. So I go to my church following Sunday. Like this on a Sunday. I love the last service because I can preach as long as I want. (laughs) Church. I said, church. Somebody here has a farm. Give it up. (laughs) My wife was the worship leader. I said, babe, come on, lead worship. Nobody said anything to me that Sunday. Following Sunday, I came back to the pulpit. I said, church, I'm serious. Now, mind you, look at me. Mind you, we're in the hood of Chicago. Our church, predominantly all Hispanics. And they're probably thinking, we got the wrong pastor. (laughs) Church, who has the farm? Come on, give it up. Come on, baby, lead worship. Two weeks pass by, three weeks pass by, four weeks pass by, five weeks. Now I'm coming to the pulpit with scripture, like a good preacher. I said, church, not even Rahab in the Bible was born a prostitute. Something must have happened to Rahab. We must rescue these girls. Who has the farm? Come on, give it up. Come on, baby, leave worship. Two weeks, two months, three months, four months, nobody said anything. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that place in your life where you're like, I heard my father. 
I know his voice. My sheep know me and they know my voice. He's been my father since the age of 14. Seven months coming to the pulpit. <sighs> Come on, church, stop playing, man. Who has the farm? Give it up. Come on, baby, worship. On the eighth month, a lady came up to me and said, Pastor Choco, my uncle, his wife of 42 years, just passed away. He heard you wanted to buy a farm to rescue women from prostitution and human trafficking. It's 160,000, 15 acres. That was on a Sunday. Monday, I head to the farm with my wife and some of the elders of our church. I get out of the car. I walked around the 15 acres and I come back to the team and I said, thus saith the Lord, this is the farm. And one of our elders said, Pastor Choco, we should look in Michigan or Wisconsin. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I wanted to. And I said, so that you would know, watch this. So you would know my father's with me. He's going to send me the money cash. I would not have to take a loan to rescue these girls. Now, nah, listen, listen. What you, need to, you need to know what we Hispanics believe. We believe the Bible. From Genesis to the book of Revelation. We believe that Jonah is in a fish. Goldfish? Don't know. It's a fish. Move on. God can do miracles. A week passed by. I'm back in Chicago. I'm in my house. A week passed by. And I said, okay, Lord. I already opened my mouth. I said I wasn't going to take the loan. How are we going to do this? He said, run. You want me to run? You want me to run from Cambridge, Illinois to Chicago? That's 182 miles. That's what I'll do. That's how we do the fundraiser. We'll run, ride bike, run, ride bike. I came to the church the following Sunday. I said, church, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to run. I'm going to ride bike. I'm going to run. I'm going to raise the money this way because no girl's born a prostitute. And the church like, glory to God. Hallelujah. Church was just going crazy. After the service, my wife said, hey, babe, let me talk to you for a minute. I said, what's up? She says, you're not a runner. You will die in the first mile. I said, I know. Jesus said that if you try to preserve your life, you've lost it. But if you lose your life for me, you found it. Seven o'clock in the morning on a Friday. The church got scared. They sent a doctor in a minivan to follow me. But every two miles, I love the last service because the other two services didn't get this. Every two miles, my kids were there with Gatorade and giving me water. I'm running. Come on, Papa, you could do it. <sighs> Thank you. But like the eighth mile, my son, Pito, he was younger, obviously. He's like, Papa, you could do it. I'm like, shut up, man. <laughs> my back is hurting. My ankles are swollen. Anyway, make a long story short. We ran, we rode by, Seven other brothers joined me in in this venture. Uh, we came into the city of Chicago. The police were waiting for us to give me an escort into my community of Humble Park. The church was packed with people. There was a finish line. I'm running down the street. My ankles were swollen. My back is hurting. But I did it because my father loves these women. Even in their mess, someone has to stand in the gap for them. We finished the service and boom, boom, boom. I go find the accountant, the CFO. And I said to him, how much did we raise? He says, Pastor Choco, sit down. I said, no, tell me. 
He said, $13,000. I said, you mean 113? He said, nope, 13. I leave the accountant. I go upstairs to my office, open the door, close the door, and I have a discourse with my father. I said, kill me. Why are you going to make me run for $13,000? I needed 160. Phone rings. Brother from Lombard, Illinois. Hey, Choco. Yeah, hey, what's going on? I heard you have, a, you have a shelter for homeless women and children. I said, I do. I have 35 of them that live with us. He said, my wife and I, we want to give you a washer and dryer. So they come the next day. I'm telling you, I love the last service. The other two services didn't get this part. And they come the next day. They're unloading the truck. He comes up to my office. Him and his wife, they're sitting in front of me. He says, how was the run? I told him about the 600 women. I told him that every two miles, my kids were giving me Gatorade. I told him that with revelation comes responsibility. Then he asked me the question, how much did you raise? I said, 13, actually 12, because you gave me a thousand. He starts crying. She starts crying. He stands up. He says, Pastor Choco, I haven't even talked to my wife yet. But if your church can raise $40,000 in the month of December, my wife and I will give you the rest to buy this farm. I go next Sunday to the church. Church, somebody here has (laughs) $40,000. Give it up. Come on, baby, leave worship. True story. When we get to heaven, we're going to ask God to role play that film because this is exactly how it happened. On December 31st, 9 o'clock in the night, I come to the podium in Chicago. Church, I raised 30. I only need 10. Who has $10,000 to rescue these girls? Come on, give it up. Come on, baby, worship. At midnight, husband and wife said, hey, can we talk to you? We've been watching you for nine months. Running, standing in the gap for these women. That you don't even know who they are. Here's your $10,000. Go buy your farm. We purchased the farm. We purchased the farm to the glory of God. We purchased the farm to the glory of God. And since then, we purchased the farm. 742 women have been rescued from human trafficking and prostitution. Every time, every time, church, Every time there was a problem on planet earth, every time there was a crisis on planet earth, God will raise up a man. He'll raise up a woman to stand in the gap for those who have been told to sit down or to shut up. Every time, I'm just trying to tell you, Martin Luther King Jr., he stood up against the giant of Jim Crow. Corey Tim Boom, she stood in the gap against fascism in Nazi Germany. In the era of the revivalists, there was John Wesley and the Great Awakening. In the era of the Reformation, there was Luther, Calvin, the Anabaptists. In the Roman era, there was Polycarp and all the martyrs. And these were in the lineage of John the Baptist, the prophetic voice in the wilderness who echo Ezekiel and the biblical prophets. I'm just trying to tell you that every time there was a problem on planet Earth, God would pick a man or a woman to say something. And that has not changed in 2023. God says, I look among them in Virginia. I look among them in Chicago. Somebody who would have the audacity. Our church in Chicago, when I pastored the church in Chicago, we were passing on New Testament Bibles to high school students. We were within our rights to do it. 
We were not violating city ordinance. So as kids got out of their cars, we were passing out New Testament Bibles to the high school students. And they took them. They knew our church. We were a community church. But one student grabbed the Bible. He walked into his classroom with his Bible. And the professor saw it, snatched it from his hand. And in front of the entire class said to him, to the students, this Bible is garbage. And he proceeded to throw it in the garbage. Now this doesn't come out on CNN, Fox News. But in back of the classroom, there was a student who went to my church. He took his phone out, texted his father. Papi, you would not believe what I just saw. Father receives a text, sends me a text. Pastor Choco, will you not believe what I just heard? I get the text and I did what any man would do. I got in my car and I went to the school. Now you need to know the principal knew me because in our church, we adopted 15 schools, 11 feeder schools and four high schools. What does that mean adopted? It means that all 6,200 students would get free book bags, free immunization, free haircut, all sponsored by New Life Covenant Church of the Assemblies of God. 15 schools. I did this for years. The church did. We, 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 we did this for years. And all I was doing is building credit. How many know what I'm talking about? And I'm about to cash in some of that credit. So I go to the school and the principal knows me. And she says, Reverend DeJesus, how are you doing? I said, not good. I said, one of your teachers threw the Bible in the garbage. Go get him. I'm going to talk to him. She leaves her office. True story. When we get to heaven, well, I used to role play this back. She leaves her office and, and I said a prayer. But I was, I was upset, y'all. I don't know how it is here in Virginia, but in the hood, you just don't mess with a father or mother without messing with the children. You just can't talk about my father like that after he saved me and turned my life around. And you're going to let you get away by talking about my daddy like that and his word. I'm not going to let you do that. That's, that was my mindset. She leaves her office. She leaves her office. And I said a prayer. It wasn't spiritual. But I did that in Jesus name. <laughs> oh God. I pray. I was in her office praying. Oh God. I pray. That what he threw in the garbage was a math book. A science book. Because if he threw the Bible. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> in Jesus name. She comes back in with a tall Anglo atheist. I extended my hand. I said, my name is Reverend DeJesus. What's your name? And he says, his name. I said, sit down. I want to talk to you. I said, is it true that you threw the Bible in the garbage? For a moment, y'all. I felt like God was in heaven. And he called all the angels. And they were looking at the balcony from the balcony of heaven. And that God was saying, check out my son. This is my boy. Is it true you threw the Bible in the garbage? And he looked at me, Chapel, Chapel Church, and he said, yes, I did. You know, that attitude. Yes, I did. My Puerto Rican blood went up, y'all. <laughs> now, you need to know that my father delivered, my heavenly father delivered me because I was an angry boy. I had anger in the absence of my father who abandoned my mother with six children. I used to hit walls and my knuckles would bleed because of anger. You know what I'm talking about. So when I got saved at 14, it's not like he removed the anger. He just redirected it. And I'm about to use some of this anger. 
He said, yes, I did. I looked at him and I said, how dare you? For thousands of years, people have died for a page of this book. People have crossed rivers. They've climbed mountains. You don't have the right to insult the faith of these young people. Who do you think you are? I went after them like three or four minutes. I turned to the right to see where the principal was at. She was looking up the wall. She's like, I like this, yes. Like, you're on your own, bro. <laughs> After like four minutes, y'all, I said, you're lucky. Bro, you're lucky I'm a preacher in this community. You're lucky I'm a pastor. And we believe in repentance. And you will repent today. You, principal, get on the intercom and tell all the teachers to respect the Bible. You go back to your class and take the Bible out of the garbage and ask for forgiveness. Attention, faculty, attention, faculty. She goes back. He goes back to his classroom, takes the Bible, asks for forgiveness. I leave his classroom. I leave the school. I go back into my car. And then reality settled in. Choco, are you insane? What is wrong with you? But I look among them for a man who would stand in the gap. There's a story in the Bible in 1 Samuel 17.10. In 1 Samuel 17.10, the Bible says, Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. This day I defy the ranks. Look at look in the right here. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a what? Together. Give me a what? Oh my word. OMG. The devil's champion, Goliath, is looking for God's man. In Ezekiel, we find that God is looking for a man. And here in 1 Samuel, we see that Goliath is looking for God's man. Send me your man. We'll fight. One-on-one. If I beat you, you guys serve us. If you beat me, we'll serve you. But where's your man? You need to know this morning that the people of Israel, they were lining up for 40 days, y'all. 40 days every day. The Philistines were there. The armies of God were here. And when Goliath would come out and say, send me your man, they would leave into the tent. Come back the next morning. Line up like if they're going to fight. Send me your man. Next morning, put on the armor, 75-pound armor. Send me your man. I don't know about you, but if I was part of this army, by the seventh day, I'm raising my hand. Hey, commander, are we going to fight or we're not going to fight? Because if we're not going to fight, next morning I'm coming out here in my shorts. Because there's no need to put all this armor. And I'm afraid, listen to me, church, I'm afraid that the last 40 years of our city, uh, the last 40 years here in this nation, we have lined up to go to church. Meanwhile, giants are growing. You should know here today that giants are not born giants. They're born babies. And we tolerated them. And we allow them to grow. Are you with me so far? And 1 Samuel, God sends a prophet, Samuel, to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. I'm going to come down. Because I like to slap people when I preach. <laughs> In 1 Samuel, God sends Samuel to Jesse's house. And when the prophet gets to Jesse's house, the prophet said, I'm here to anoint the next king of Israel. 
bring your boys. And so the father lines up all his boys and he goes one by one. Uh -uh. The Lord said, he's not the one. He's not the one. He's not the one. He's not the one. And the prophet's like, do you have another son? Well, I do. His name is David. He's out in the field. He smells. Call him. He opens the back door porch. David, come over here, mijo. Come over here. Come inside. The prophet's here. David comes in. Cleans. What's up, papi? What's up? And the Lord said, that's the guy. Anoint him as king of Israel. And the prophet anoints David in front of his father and his siblings. And the Bible says that after he was anointed, he went back to take care of the sheep. You should know that David's anointing as king does not take place until 20 years later. So there is a season where David is killing a bear and a lion with the audience of one, God. Because God will allow you and I to raise up, to, to begin to be birthed and to grow in the church, killing bears and lions in private. Because one day, God's going to take you to public. And so, you get the story. One day, Jesse calls out to, to David. David, come in here, boy. He comes and says, what's up, puppy? Hey, I want you to go see your brothers. Go see your brothers and go take them some cheese and some bread. Now, we Americans know that as cheese sandwich. The Bible didn't ask me. Nobody asked me. I would have told them. It's cheese sandwich. But it says bread and cheese. So Jesse tells his boy David, the anointed king, hey, I want you to take the bread and the cheese, and I want, to go, I want you to go to the war and see how your brothers are doing. Okay, puppy. So David takes the slingshot. He takes the bread and the cheese, and he goes and he follows his father's obedience. Oh, I love the story because it talks about obedience. Even though he's anointed king, he still obeys his father. Are you with me? So David comes one day when the soldiers are lining up. One of those 40 days. And David sees his brothers. He's like, hey, what's up, Essay? How you doing? You know how big brothers are. They're like, bro. This is for men. Go back and take care of the sheep. This is a battle. You know, David's like, hey, 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 relax. I'm just here to bring you cheese sandwich. Papi wants to know how you guys are doing. Look at me, look at me. You know, so let's say the brothers were lining up like this. The Philistines are there. Here's a cheese sandwich. And then on this day, Goliath comes out. Send me your man. This day, he says, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Send me your man. Let us fight. And David's like, who be that? Who's this guy? Hold the cheese sandwich. Hold this. Who does he think he is? How long have you guys been tolerating this nonsense? Are you serious? 40 days? You get, you are, he, this day you will die. Who do you think you are? To defile the armies of God. He doesn't say Israel. He doesn't say Saul. He says the armies of God. This day you will die. He takes out a slingshot. Takes a rock. And God is in heaven. He's like, David, just throw the rock. For the love of God, just throw the rock. I just need you to throw the rock and I'll catch it and I'll hit him. 
I do need you to show up at the school. I do need you to show up at City Hall. I do need you to show up. The battle is already won, but I still need you to show up. And he shoots that rock and Goliath comes down. He cuts Goliath's head with his own sword and he turned around and the Bible says, and the people of Israel surged. Uh, let me land this plane. You should know that David in 1 Samuel 17 had to face Goliath because Saul in chapter 15 did not do what God told him to do. He didn't have the courage what are you saying, Pastor Choco? If you don't kill this in 2023, your grandchildren will have to face it. Because you and I didn't have the courage to say, not on my watch. You cannot do this. Let me finish it. Would you stand with me for a moment? Stand with me for a moment. Who is this guy? Who insults God? Who does he think he is? Right. State of Chicago, our late, late mayor said that apparently Chick-fil-A was not welcome to our city. Because apparently Chick-fil-A did not have Chicagoans value system. Well, I was, I was in Washington when I heard that on CNN. That apparently that our mayor said that Chick-fil-A was not welcome. Well, I did what any man would do. I picked up the phone and I called the mayor's office and I talked to his admin and I said, tell the mayor that I said that Chick-fil-A is welcome in our city and that he does not represent all Chicagoans value system. I flew back in the next day. I called the city councilman who presented the ordinance. I said, uh, city councilman, I want to meet, I want to meet you in the park. That's how we deal with things in the city of Chicago. <laughs> Meet me in the park. I drove there to the park with my wife. I looked at her. I said, babe, stay in the car. This is going to get ugly. I walked to the park. I saw the alderman. I said, Alden, we've been friends for eight years. Yeah, we've been friends. I said, you and the mayor are wrong on this issue. You're wrong. And I will bring 1,000 men to shut down your city hall. Because you do not represent all Chicagoans. Your call, back off. You and the mayor need to back off. I called Dan Cathy in Atlanta, chairman of Chick-fil-A. I said, Dan, this is Choco. I want you to know you're welcome in our city. We will fight to get Chick-fil-A in the city of Chicago. Today, the city of Chicago has three Chick-fil-A's to the glory of God. God did not call you to carry cheese sandwiches. He called you to kill giants. You were not born in your mother's womb. You were not formed in your mother's room to carry cheese sandwiches. You were called to go after these giants and to stand in the gap for those who cannot stand for themselves. You are a gap man. John the Baptist, gap man. Corey to Esther, a gap woman. Jesus Christ, the ultimate gap person who stood in the gap of humanity. And he says in 2023, I look, I look in Virginia 
Is there a woman? Is there a man? Anybody that has the audacity? I like what Dr. King said. Let's finish here with this. Dr. King said, courage is an inner resolution to go forward despite obstacles. Cowardice is submissive surrender to circumstances. Courage breeds creativity. Cowardice represses fear and is mastered by it. Watch this, watch this. Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it political? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And Chapel Church, look at me. There comes a time in your life and my life that we must take a position that's neither safe nor politically correct nor popular. But we take it because it's right. It's right. With every head bowed and every eyes closed all over this century, those that are watching across our campuses, online, on Facebook or YouTube, it's no different. Today, God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman. I don't know how many of you here at the sound of my voice would say, Pastor Choco, this sermon was for me. It was timely. I needed to hear this. You messed me up. You provoked my spirit. I can't stay in the sideline watching this happen. Would you pray for me? If you believe this sermon was for you, I want you to raise your hand quickly. I want to pray for you. Hands are going up all over this place. Hands are going up. And with pastor's permission, and those that are watching online, if you raise your hand, I'm going to give you 20 seconds to get out of your seat and meet me at this altar. I'm going to say a prayer for you. Do that right now. 20 seconds. You were not born to carry cheese sandwich. You were born to kill giants. Come on, move in, move in. So other folks should come to the altar. Slide in, slide in, slide in.